This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Today is going to be one of those catch-up shows we do about once a month where we just sort of go through the pile of material that has been stacking up and see if we can't clear the deck and talk about some things we find interesting and which hopefully you find interesting as well. I want to start today's show by noting that it was great fun traveling up to Chico last Thursday to attend an event with Mr. Will Durst and Michael Parenti. It's very cool to note that uh, Rick Anderson put on a fundraiser at the Big Room at the Sierra Nevada Brewery in Chico. It was able to raise, I believe, $6,000 for the station by selling out. Yours truly does not make a habit of addressing large audiences, but given that it was going to be Mr. Durst, America's foremost political comic and a man whom uh, you hear every week on this program, and Michael Perenni, um, a man who's, I believe, what, Mr. McGillan, three appearances on Radio Parallax? At least. I felt obligated to take a stab at it. By the way, in the weeks to come, we're going to take a, a contingent of KDVSers, hopefully, and travel up to Chico to uh, see what we can do to bond our two sister stations a little more closely together. It's our great pleasure, Mr. Merle and I, to be able to appear on uh, two great community-based radio stations. And we hope we can do something to get more collaboration going north and south of Highway 5. Or is it 99? Or is it 70? We'll have a bit more to say about that program uh, later in the hour, but uh, let's start the show as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question for today's program is the 3rd of November. And it was on November 3rd in 1863 that J.T. Alden won a United States patent for a method to preserve yeast in a dried, granular form. This, I'm sure, was a revolutionary breakthrough for those who like to bake. And believe you me, though I've never taken up the uh, activity myself, I'm glad that some of you do. On the 3rd of November in 1903, with the support of the U.S. government, Panama issued a Declaration of Independence from Colombia. Panama had previously been, I believe, three provinces of the nation of Colombia. And thanks to a bit of U.S. chicanery, this revolution opened the way for construction of the Panama Canal. What, what a coincidence. On November 3rd in 1952... The frozen food pioneer Clarence Birdseye introduced the first frozen peas to Americans. Although I have to admit frozen peas have never been a favorite on my table, when you go to Hawaii, they make an excellent way to bring in the fish. Yes, believe it or not, if you buy a package of frozen peas, wade out into the surf and have your snorkeling gear on, a release of peas will (laughs) bring the fish in to snap them up like fish eggs, which I assume they mistake them for. But they do appear to like the taste. They don't spit them out and keep coming back for more. This might be a good time to pause and just ask the question, isn't it amazing the things you learn on Radio Parallax week by week? You can listen to Neil Conan or Terry Gross a long time before the subject of frozen peas will ever even come up. Although, if I'm not mistaken, my good friends over at Insight on Capital Public Radio once had a guy eat frozen peas live in studio because they just can't get enough of that sort of stuff. And finally, on November 3rd, 1964, and I actually remember this very well, one of the biggest U.S. presidential election landslides, the incumbent, Lyndon Baines Johnson, defeated Republican challenger Barry Goldwater. 
Even as a boy, I thought Barry Goldwater was a bit unhinged. Although I would hasten to add that these days, Barry Goldwater would be a moderate in the Republican Party. In fact, his liberalism probably would have gotten him disowned by the party hierarchy. I enjoyed very much talking with uh, Barry Goldwater's granddaughter, Cece Goldwater, on this program. And if you didn't hear that, uh, that particular show, we refer you to our archives at radioparallax.com. I think that Barry Goldwater probably mellowed a bit uh, in his later years and uh, by many accounts was a true leader in the United States Senate. And I, I should add, I'm not saying I agree with Barry Goldwater on very many issues, but when you take a look at what's currently running for the Republican nomination, you have to just say, wow. And we will have more to say about that before the hour's up, including some pithy quotes from New Scientist magazine about the current state of uh, American politics, in particular the Republican Party. Our quote of the day comes from businessman Bernard Baruch, who said, The main purpose of the stock market is to make fools of as many men as possible. Our quote of the day comes from David Letterman, who said, Rick Perry is now behind in the polls. He's not taking it well. Today he executed his pollster. Our jokes of the day come from the Dave Barry calendar. Said Dave, We in the news media are not good with financial matters. Some veteran journalists have not yet turned in their expense accounts for the Civil War. So as a group, we really don't have a solid handle on one, what the stock market is, two, why it goes up and down, three, which is good, bull or bear, four, whether points means the same things as dollars, and if so, why the hell don't they just call them dollars, five, who is Alan Greenspan, and six, whether he's the same person as Dow Jones. Our stat of the day is 7 billion, as in the number of human beings on planet Earth. That's according to the UN's estimate. They picked the date of Halloween, perhaps somewhat appropriately, because it's a pretty damn scary statistic as the date when they figured that we'd reach 7 billion. And that, too, is a subject we're going to have more to say on a bit later. But I was sort of struck by the fact that uh, National Geographic had some companion statistics for how many animals we eat every year. And if these stats are right, we 7 billion people consume 52 billion chickens a year. Rounding up the top five of things eaten would be 2.6 billion ducks, 1.3 billion pigs, 1.1 billion rabbits, and 633 million turkeys. This stat surprises me. Apparently cattle come in eighth with 293 million, behind goats at 398 million, and sheep at 518 million. Of course, I know what you're thinking, dear listener. I wonder how many water buffalo and camels humans consume every year. And the answer to that is 24 million and 1.7 million, respectively. And uh, I have to confess, looking over this list, the one thing I haven't eaten is camel. And I would ask you, dear listener, per request of Mr. McMillan, if you have eaten camel, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com and do your best to describe what it's like. I believe when it comes to water buffalo, I can be of some assistance. When you uh, go to primarily Hindu Nepal and you have a hankering for beef, you'll find out that, of course, the cow is sacred in the Hindu religion, but they seem to have no qualms whatsoever about serving you up a water buffalo steak. Mr. McMillan adds, I did not know this, but it's usually listed as buff on the menus in Kathmandu. And, and no, it's, it's not a misspelling. That's what they call it. I couldn't tell the difference. Could you? Yes, it leans more towards venison. Well, there you have it. 
Now let's get off the subject of eating meat and talk instead about the um, Occupy Wall Street movement. New Scientist magazine notes that the Wall Street protesters may be onto something. A study of more than 43,000 transnational corporations and their links revealed that just 147 companies control 40% of the wealth in the entire global economy. The top 20, no surprise, includes Barclays Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, and of course, Goldman Sachs. And meanwhile, back on Main Street, according to Ron Scherer at csmonitor.com, it's been um, a week of some grim economic statistics. Reportedly, American standard of living has fallen longer and more steeply over the past three years than in any time since the U.S. government's been measuring it dating back five decades. The average American has 1,315 fewer dollars in disposable income now than in 2008. Another economic indicator, the so-called misery index, which is the sum of the country's unemployment and inflation rates, also hit a 28-year high. I think we better jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Actually, before we do, we've got to back up into a couple more ugly stats. I think we just have to go over these. According to the Washington Post, half of all U.S. workers earned less than $26,300 in 2010. That's the lowest median wage since 1999, adjusted for inflation. And uh, the next stat I think I'll save for the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for fiscal conservatives when it was revealed, according to Bloomberg.com, that given the six-figure salaries received by lobbyists, lawyers, and federal employees, Washington, D.C. has now overtaken Silicon Valley as the wealthiest metropolitan area in the United States. A typical household in our nation's capital earned $84,500 last year. Well, on the other hand, a bad week for the Roman Catholic faith with the news that Paul McCartney, who was baptized as a Catholic in his youth, has been studying Judaism and has promised his new wife, Nancy Shevel, that he will convert. Apparently, Paul first considered converting to Judaism during his 29-year marriage to Linda Eastman. He and Shevel, 51, recently attended Yom Kippur services together. McCartney has told friends he would complete his studies and convert next year. Who could ask for more? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? When I'm 64 Every summer we can rent a cottage in the island. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for branding. After Robert and Diane Moreska of Long Island, New York, filed to trademark the phrase Occupy Wall Street, citing its potential to become a global brand. Said Robert, if I didn't buy it and use it, somebody else will. And yes, Mr. McMillan, I believe that uh, we should award Robert and Diana Moresca of Long Island, New York, our Jackass of the Week Award. You know, it struck me while up in Chico that uh, more than one person told me that uh, they enjoyed reading The Week magazine. Coming out as it does on a weekly basis, uh, it'd be hard to produce our program without it being that it is so succinct. But I have to admit, I considered their controversy of the week, quote-unquote, 
Iraq. Is it a mistake to bring home U.S. troops? Baffling. And we have no explanation for why it is the magazine continues to quote nationalreview.com, which is accusing America of simply quitting and bugging out. And no, we don't understand it either. Furthermore, we can't understand why anybody keeps quoting Farid Zachariah, who predictably and rather moronically makes the claim that our departure from Iraq will mark a clear disappointment for the U.S. and a strategic victory for Iran, because the Iranians enjoy close ties to Iraq's Shiite majority, including Prime Minister Maliki. That's enough of that for today. We were intrigued by the Only in America file in the current edition of the week wherein it was reported that Grinnell College in Iowa is setting up gender-neutral locker rooms for athletes who feel constrained by traditional male and female gender labels. Grinnell already offers gender-neutral dorm floors and will not call students he or she if they prefer. More students today don't identify with the binary, explains Professor Astrid Henry, who teaches gender, women's, and sexuality studies. For our part, we at Radio Parallax would note that you may call both myself and Mr. McMillan he, unless you'd prefer not to. We've got a lot of ground to cover here. Let's uh, let's express, once again, some skepticism over the idea that uh, the web and bloggers and tweeters and such are going to take the place of professional journalists. Case in point, some of the tweets printed in the Sacramento Bee in the wake of a 4.8 earthquake which struck northeast of Sacramento, a little after 11 o'clock last Wednesday. And hold on to your hat, here are some of the tweets. A man named Roger Salazar tweeted, Earthquake? Question mark? A man named Ben David apparently tweeted, I'm in Sacramento. I think I just felt an earthquake. A man named Matt Brooks tweeted, I swear, I just felt a quake. A man named Steve Whitney tweeted, Just felt a decent quake in Sacramento, California. Anyone know where it was? Nothing on Google News yet. And of course, thanks to the miracle of modern communication, George Stewart was able to tweet just a little bit later, if you think you felt a quake just a bit ago, you probably did. 4.8, just south of Portola, hit at 11.37 p.m. Yes, and I know that's 60 seconds of your life you'll never get back. But I think if this proves anything is that we still need the traditional outlets of the news media. Of course, having said that, there was a letter to the uh, editor in the Sacramento Bee. The very first paragraph states, a large new government office building on the American River Parkway filled with 600 skilled wage earners would seem to be a blessing for the economically depressed Sacramento region. This is right. This is a letter from Jane McElhay from Fair Oaks. She said, this gives the impression that 600, quote, new, unquote, employees would be hired to work in the building. These employees would merely relocate from their three current office positions to the proposed Joint Operations Center. I'm not opposed to the construction of this new facility if one's needed. It just seems to me that one of the other two sites would equally fit the bill without disturbing the integrity of the American River Parkway and surrounding areas. And a letter by George Nyberg to the Bee was also pretty irresistible. Quoting the line from Forrest Gump, Stupid is as stupid does. Mr. Nyberg said, The idea of building a flood emergency operations center in a floodplain is just plain stupid. We're going to take a trip out to that proposed site on the American River Parkway, a place uh, that uh, yours truly enjoys biking on on a regular basis, and see if we can't uh, round out this story a bit. 
But uh, the topic I want to hit in our second segment today, and I, and I realize we're still in the first segment, but uh, New Scientist magazine, cover story, Unscientific America, special report on a dangerous retreat from reason. New Scientist notes that the tone and content of some recent political debates in the U.S. is disquieting. They note that on issues such as climate change, evolution, and public health, it may seem as if the forces of anti-science are in the ascendancy. But I want to back out of that a moment to note that uh, while speaking up in Chico, I was tempted to quote from uh, one of Will Durst's more memorable recent comments about the Republican debates. But I I held back because I thought that Will might uh, want to use that line in his routine. But I think we can use it now. Uh, Will noted that uh, Herman Cain brags he's the only candidate never to have held elective office, inferring that the Oval Office should be an entry-level position. Will notes that uh, Cain conveniently neglected to mention that he ran for president in 2000 and later a U.S. Senate seat in Georgia and lost both. Mr. Durst said it's not like he hasn't tried politics before, it's just that he's not that good at it. But apparently Mr. Cain lost the support of some religious conservatives last week after he stated that the decision to end a pregnancy should rest with the individual. Said Cain, it ultimately gets down to a choice that the family or the mother has to make. He said that during a CNN interview. He was leading in several polls the week before, but uh, after these comments, some religious conservatives in Iowa got a little bit ticked, which caused him to travel to Iowa to say that he opposed abortions, quote, no exceptions, unquote. So I was tempted at the top of the show to use Herman Cain as the quote of the week and quip of the week, but I wasn't sure which one to use, and I'm not sure where he really stands on this. But then again, I guess none of us do. And speaking of Mr. Wildurst, America's foremost comic, let's, uh, let's see what he's got to say. Hey guys, Will Durst here to hazard a guess as to why everybody is so damn freaked out and polarized these days. I think it's because we're afraid. Afraid of not being number one, afraid of what's in store, of what we don't know. Because face it, there's so much we don't know. We don't even know how much we don't know. Not just the future, screw the future. We don't know basic stuff like how old the universe is. Smartest brains in the history of the planet figure the universe that we live in started around 13 billion years ago, plus or minus 7 billion years. Nice margin of error there. Hell, they given me that in 8th grade. I could have passed algebra. How come the dinosaurs died? Last major life form on the face of our planet wiped out en masse instantaneously. How come? Nobody knows. Weather got weird. And what's happening now? Weather's getting weird, man. Mostly from the fumes from our cars, which are run on fossil fuels. Eh, ain't life odd. We still don't know why aspirin works. We don't know why macrame is competing trade journals. We don't know why CSI Miami is still on the air. We don't know why John Boehner is so orange. Why Keith Richards lives. We don't know why celebrity Russian roulette hasn't been turned into a reality show with the first six episodes starring the Kardashian family. We don't know why they still make strawberry quick. Come on, nobody buys it twice. Everybody loves the chocolate and eventually gets around to trying the strawberry once and only once. Hell, I can't figure out why if the earth is round, how come the penguins don't fall off the bottom? 
No, no, you can talk about gravity too. You're blue in the face. Somebody somewhere is upside down, man. How does that work? Don't ask me. I don't know nothing. For Radio Parallax, I'm, oh yeah, Will Durst. And that is going to be a pretty good segue to our next segment. Before we go, I would note for the record that Mr. McMillan actually likes Strawberry Quick. I think this is my responsibility as a physician to update him on the fact that we did figure out how aspirin works a while ago. Although it did take medical science something like eight decades to figure it out. Anyway, you're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. we got plenty more in the next two segments, so don't go anywhere.